Welcome back to Healthy Perspectives, a podcast dedicated to patients, healthcare, innovation, and technology. I'm Martin Kierton. And I'm Angelica Kapichko. We're your hosts. As an agency, we care deeply about making a meaningful impact on people's lives. So beyond the work we do on behalf of our clients, we also support nonprofits that share our passions. And we even spearhead our own advocacy initiatives. Today, we're talking about one of those passion projects with Alyssa Berger, a creative director at Patients and Purpose. She shares how a campaign in Philadelphia helped raise awareness of period poverty, an important issue that you might not realize is happening in your own backyard. Well, we're here to talk about Power of Period. We're really excited to hear from you about it. We know this is a great campaign that we've put out before. So I guess we'll go ahead and get started. Can you give us a little bit of background on Power of Period? Like, how did you get involved? How did it all begin? I guess it was two years ago now. We were working on a pitch for women's health. And in doing a bunch of research, we discovered an article in the Philadelphia Inquirer about this organization called No More Secrets. And they were dealing with an issue called period poverty, which I had never heard of before. And so for, you know, people who aren't as familiar, it's the inability to buy menstrual products and it actually impacts people not being able to go to school, not being able to go to work. I think it's one in four um, people have missed school or work because of their period. And so this organization was helping address that in Philadelphia And I reached out to them after reading this article to see if they would be interested in potentially working with us because I was just shocked that period poverty was something that happens, you know, in the United States. It's not something you really think of happening in, you don't think of period poverty happening in your own backyard. So I was really inspired to get involved and either do something through PNP or do something on my own. And so I reached out to them to see if they would be open to working with us. And that's how it sort of all got started. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it in your own backyard. I was definitely really surprised by that stat too. And being a woman, a girl that grew up that way too, I never, it was just not something I had ever encountered as like not being able to go to school, for instance. So yeah, that totally resonates. Is this something that affects everybody equally or does it sort of impact different communities in different ways? Um. It impacts black and brown communities more, and it also impacts people who are lower income, which is, I guess, why it tends to impact the black and brown communities because of, unfortunately, some of the wage gaps there. So that's, I think, one of the even bigger reasons why it is such a challenge is because the communities are marginalized as it is, and so people aren't supporting period poverty. And so really needing to look at how to support those communities and ending period poverty is one of them. Okay. So you came across them, you read this really amazing article that, you know, brought this to your attention. When you reached out, did you have, you know, a specific goal in mind or just thinking about what, you know, how to get the message across or what type of message like to get across what, what was going through your mind in that sense? Um, I asked them when I first met with them what they really needed. Do they need donations? Do they need awareness? And they said they needed all of it. (laughs) Um, And so the goal of the campaign was to be able to get people talking about period poverty 
Um, that was really the primary goal because, you know, as we've talked about on this call, not a lot of people are aware about period poverty. So it was to raise awareness. And then through raising awareness, the call to action was to donate. It's obviously such an important message. And it's, it's something that, like you say, people don't almost expect to be happening in their backyard. But how did you go about trying to sort of reach the people to communicate this, this sort of issue that perhaps people didn't know about or weren't as aware of? So I reached out to any organization that I thought would be remotely interested in partnering. So it was um, women-owned businesses, different grocery stores that were, you know, more like mom and pop type grocery stores, reached out to all of the big name brands as well. And there were some organizations that were willing to partner with me and either put messaging on their website or put messaging on their social platforms. There was one bar that we worked with called Attic Brewing that actually let us do a takeover of the bar. So a lot of women who are experiencing period poverty are using things like newspaper and napkins and toilet paper instead of actual menstrual products. So we partnered with the bar to place a lot of collateral. So we had napkins that said information about people using napkins. We had toilet paper that was specifically made that said, you know, no one should have to use this as a pad, period. And then we also had, I think, coasters and a couple of other things really hinting at the fact that these are you know, different things that people are using to replace menstrual products when they don't have them. Um, but it was definitely a challenge to get the message out because period poverty isn't something that a lot of organizations want to talk about. A lot of churches didn't want to partner with us because they didn't want to acknowledge that women have periods um, to be able to talk about that. So that was sort of challenging because a lot of the time churches are, you know, organizations that are willing to help. Um, so it was tough to get the message out there. So it sounds like you obviously approached and knocked on lots of doors and not every door opened, but how did, how did it work out with this particular bar? Like, how did you select them or were they were just one on the list or how did that kind of come about? Um, the owner of No More Secrets somehow knew the owner of this bar or had met the owner of this bar. And then, so I just decided to go to the bar and ask if she would be involved. And, you know, I brought my husband, we bought some beer. So, um, and she was just really willing and open to help. The bar is also in the same community that No More Secrets is. So they're close by each other. So I think it's different female-led organizations helping each other in different ways. And how did you, did you think, because obviously that's like one bar of many, um, how did you sort of try and, amplify or leverage what you managed to achieve at that one bar with the ways you thought of using that to get the message out? One of the days where, um, you know, all of the collateral was going to be out, I went there with my art partner, as well as Lynette, who is the founder of the organization. And we spoke to people there. So just getting them to, you know, look at the collateral, what do they think and, and talk a little bit about it. We also got people to say power period. And so used a lot of the content that we captured then and pushed it out on social. So that was helpful. And then the bar also used a lot of that content that we captured on their social as well. Gosh, this really sounds like a passion project for sure. A lot of just personal added effort to kind of get in there and talk to folks. 
it sounds like it, it was, you said it was in the same community. Like, so these are all kind of Philly based. It felt like the right way to approach it. Mm-hmm. I guess menstrual help community is all somewhat connected to each other. So some other bigger organizations were willing to amplify the message on their social as well, sort of with this mindset of, you know, all ships rise. And so by being able to raise um, awareness about period poverty, they were helping their own organizations as well. So some of those bigger organizations did share, but it was much more on a local level that we got true involvement. I wanted to ask too, because you guys intentionally chose to feature real people with real problems in Mm -hmm. very like front and center in the campaign. Can you talk a little bit about that and like why you chose that approach? Yeah, absolutely. When I was doing my research on period poverty and when you look at the information that's out there, it's just a lot of stats. There's not a lot of voices associated with period poverty. And so I think it's very easy to paint a picture in your head of the person you think is experiencing it. And it's just so different than what you might imagine of why someone may be experiencing it. And so it was really crucial to paint a picture of who could experience it and then also the impact that it has. And so we were also featuring voices of people of all ages. So I think the youngest girl we had was, she was 10. And then we also had someone who at this point in her life was postmenopausal, but had still experienced it and then also was then seeing her daughter experience it as a result. Um, I think using the real voices helped bring light to it in a very unique way. When you were talking with them, was there just like a moment that you really like remember or still kind of carry with you? Um, There was one woman who came in and she was dressed like she looked fabulous. And my first thought was, this woman doesn't seem like she would be experiencing period poverty. And she, in her interview, spoke about of how a person looks and dresses, doesn't actually, you know, tell you their situation. And you can be doing everything you can to outwardly look a certain way. And then you go home to, to poverty where you're struggling to get food on the table. Um, and I thought, you know, that I had that thought and then she vocalized it was just, um, and even though I was in it, so I was experiencing people who were living in period poverty and realizing how vast the range of people are, but I still had that thought. And so having her say that was really powerful and just made me realize no matter how involved I was getting, I still had so much to learn and that, you know, these women were able to help teach me and hopefully teach others as well. I think that just really speaks to how important awareness for this is, right? Like not only is there already a stigma around talking about your period, even today, like in politics with school. Mm -hmm. And then I think that's such a great example to talk about. Even you know what situation you're walking into, right? And you still see this woman who looks really put together. You can't make any assumptions about what's going on in her life as well. So just reinforcing that awareness need. Was it difficult to get people to open up and actually share their stories? Did you find, was that like a hard part of it? If it's something that's sometimes stigmatized and not spoken about? Because of the organization, um, No More Secrets and and Lynette, she, I mean, is just a force. If you meet her, she's an absolute force. And I think there were people who 
really wanted to be able to help spread the message. And they were people that Lynette had helped. So she had several women who were very willing to talk about it. And what was cool is that, you know, we had um, Chris Christman, he donated his time and, and photography and took photos of these women and they used those photos for themselves. And they became almost ambassadors in their own communities, helping to educate people around them about period poverty and that there is actually something out there to help them. So it was quite the opposite, getting them to share. But I think what they did that hadn't happened before was that people were sharing in response versus staying quiet before. It's interesting you would describe her as a force on so like a known quantity in her community. I mean, I know you're relatively new to that that community and, and, and living in Philadelphia. Like how how did that go? She'd obviously had a way of presenting herself or her sort of identity, but this campaign is something different. So how did those two kind of relate to each other? Or how did that work out? Yeah. So the social channel for No More Secrets had a very clear voice beforehand and Lynette was always great about preparing her community for what was coming and and things she was doing. And because this was new for her working with a, you know, an ad agency and having an actual campaign, that wasn't something that she did. So the first time that we posted an animated post through uh, the No More Secrets social channels, while some people were really positively responding a lot of her followers that had come to know her and know her voice thought that maybe her social channels had been bought or taken over because it had such a, I think, a more professional look than she, you know, had had in the past. And so we had to pivot very quickly and think through how to make the power period content feel really authentic to the brand that she had already established, which wasn't hard because we were using voices within that community, but it was just um, a small shift that we had to make in thinking through the rest of the content so that we were raising awareness without alienating the community that she'd already worked so hard to establish relationships with. So to that point, thinking about, you know, who who's listening in on this episode and our marketers out there, do you have a couple like watch outs or takeaways that you learned going through this process yourself that you might kind of share out with that? I think it's important to be true to the community that you've built. I think we, we talk so much about authenticity with all of our brands and, you know, we'll reposition or do a new campaign, but if it's something is going to all of a sudden stand out as feeling really different, that could potentially feel inauthentic you have to prepare the community for that in some way so that it doesn't have that inauthentic feel. Um, And I also think knowing the power of your community because they're the ones that are going to continue to, you know, share um, the content that you have with their communities and continue to, to spread your message. And so rather than, I think just relying on them to, to view, relying on them to continue to amplify in terms of goals or how did you measure how successful what you were doing was like, how did you kind of figure out, am I changing the situation here? So we measured two things. So one was we measured um, the change in conversation and 
we did that through social listening. So we did social listening beforehand and then social listening after. And the number of conversations around period poverty just skyrocketed. And what was cool was that it wasn't just in the Philly area. It was really all over the place. So it was, you know, increase in conversations. And then it was also increase in donations to No More Secrets. Um, So we looked at the amount of donations that they got the year before at this time, and I think doubled what they had gotten since the year before. And then we also created it to where we were setting up really small monthly payments. So a lot of the time they were getting, you know, $100 or something, but they're getting that and it's a one-time donation versus we made it really easy to donate $7 monthly, which $7 a month is more than enough to cover the product needs of one woman. So they also got significantly more ongoing donations than they ever had. That's great, actually, because it ties it directly to the need and to the the patient experience as well. Mm -hmm. Just in case anybody listening isn't as familiar with what social listening is, I don't know if you can just explain just so people are fully clear what you meant by that. Because it was just obviously with donations, that's an easier metric. You can see how much money you've actually raised. But interesting just to see how you used social listening to sort of assess that impact. I will do my best. Um, So social listening uses software to measure how often certain words and phrases or related words and phrases are used on different social platforms. So if we put in, we want to know how many times period poverty was mentioned between August and October in 2020. And then again, in 2021, it would be able to tell us. And then it's also words that are associated with those mentions. So if it was like period poverty and hopeless, let's say, were often associated with each other, you'd be able to find that out. And so the word power started being associated with period poverty when we did the power period campaign. So it was interesting to see the actual shift in the conversation surrounding period poverty and then also the increase in the number of conversations as well. Well, overall, it just sounded like the sentiment shifted from kind of this more negative space to Mm -hmm. an empowering space, quite literally. Mm -hmm. And given that you contacted so many different types of organizations, did you have to approach different organizations in different ways? Like what what did you have to factor in when you were sort of trying to create partnerships? Um, For bigger organizations, I tried to look at some of their mission or piggyback on top of things that they were already doing when I was making suggestions about a partnership. I reached out to Hershey because we had this whole idea of like Hershey period and like rebranding their whole, you know, chocolate wrapper. Um, And the person who responded to me like loved the idea, but she said it just didn't fit in with what they were. They were like very focused on food insecurity. Um, And so period poverty wasn't, you know, an interest for them right then, but at least she responded because I was able to, I guess, relate to her on some level. And then, um, the smaller organizations I tried to position it as like helping the community is also helping you kind of thing. What about the media part of it? Did you sort of try and get any free media coverage? How did it, you know, cause obviously pro bono typically means, you know, budgets aren't the largest. So how did you sort of try and get around that? Yep. So we had no media budget whatsoever. 
Um, and we partnered with this one media company who donated some of their time to be able to, you know, reach out to different media, uh, vendors and not one place was willing to donate media space. So that was somewhat shocking to me. Um, cause I thought that, you know, it's a good cause and it's a nonprofit and yeah, I was really surprised that nobody would donate. So we ended up having the, I think it was the landlord to no more secrets or like where, where they have their office. He donated a good amount of money that he was willing to put specifically toward media. So we did some newspaper media that said no one should use this as a pad period. And I guess technically that was donated media, but it was more, we paid for the media with donated dollars. And then the first run of the printing, some of the printing just didn't look great. And I let them know, and then they were willing to reprint it. No problem. Which was very interesting to me, but you know, they wouldn't donate it, but they would redo it if they just messed it up a little bit. <laughs> so we got two, two placements. <laughs> if you had to sum up the, what you were most proud about in the campaign, what, what made you sort of feel the best about what you managed to achieve with it? Oh, that's a really tough question. Um, I, I guess what I'm most proud of is the fact that period poverty was sort of this secret and at least we did everything we could to make it no longer be a secret and instead be something that, you know, people are really starting to think about as a worthy cause that needs support. When people think of poverty, they think of food and shelter. That's what they think of in terms of what people need. And people don't think about period products and period products, as well as like basic hygiene products aren't covered on SNAP benefits. So that's a really big challenge of when it's a basic human necessity, just like food and clothing and shelter, but it's not thought of. So the goal was really to get people to think about it in the same way so that we could make big changes. So this is obviously a passionate project for you um, about a particular issue, but if another organization was to sort of try and do something similar or another sort of pro bono campaign, what kind of advice would you give them? Like, how could they learn from what you learned um, doing period period? I think recognizing the importance of the community and how to amplify the voices of the community that are already there, the, you know, the voices of the the women that we captured on film did so much more than, you know, any kind of promotion that we were able to do without them. So having them as partners to help educate was really crucial. And then I would also say knowing what you want to achieve and just going for it and being persistent are really crucial, especially when it's a pro bono project, you know, and you don't have the funds to offer, people are going to ignore you or turn you down. So you just have to keep pushing until you find the right partner and the right resources to be able to get your message out there. Another important thing to keep in mind when doing a campaign like this, and really when doing any campaign is knowing your brand voice. You know, we shifted the brand voice of No More Secrets somewhat quickly and people weren't fully prepared. And so we needed to then shift back 
to make sure that we were integrating into the brand voice that was already established versus trying to create something fully new. So that's also really important is making sure that you're maintaining, I think, an identity that you have out there. Alyssa, thank you so much. It's so great to have you on our show. Yes, thank you all. This inspirational story shows the power of a highly focused, purposeful approach and the importance of maintaining authentic voice to reach people and change the conversation. Thanks for listening to this podcast. And as always, stay tuned for more updates and perspectives from Patience and Purpose by following us on LinkedIn and Instagram.